0: Well, amen. Well, good morning. It is already uh, good morning. This side of the room. We'll work on everybody else here in a moment. It is good to see you all. I'm thankful that you're here thankful that you're with us. Man, I'm already uh, encouraged uh, by the gospel and the interaction of the gospel uh, through this day. Uh, So I hope and pray by God's grace and our time in the word that you would be encouraged as well, maybe even challenged a little bit today. Uh, Man, I got to tell you, it has been a salve for the soul for me being here uh, already this morning. And uh, I don't know how you experience church and being with the body of believers when you come on campus, but I just want to share with you Uh, My experience so far today. uh, First of all, it's been a joy uh, to be able to sit with uh, a dad of a a baby, watching a baby fall asleep. Uh, Man, what a what a beautiful thing Uh, life is by God's grace. When He gives it, Um, it is by His grace that we do have children. It is by His grace um, and His mercy, and it's a divine miracle. Um, that families are even able to have kids. And so we praise God for that and the joy of seeing little ones all around the room. I was encouraged today as well as I was over in the education building and one of our children came up to me and grabbed me by the hand and led me down the hall and uh, found a room where blocks were scattered everywhere, wanted to put the blocks together, and then led me back to his classroom, uh, which, man, I felt like if I was a first-time guest, I found a greeter Uh, That we need to put to work. Uh, So um, wherever uh, Ben Torje is right now, I'm guessing Harold, he's next door. Uh, We're going to make him a part of our greeter team from this point forward, Uh, because I'm going to tell you when a sweet, when a sweet child just reaches out their hand to take you, you just go with them, right? I mean, you go like they could, they could lead you into a snake pit. It doesn't matter. You're walking. Because they have they have reached out their hand, it's a, such a sweet sweet thing, and so I was thankful for that and encouraged by that. I was also encouraged uh, by something that happened a moment ago when I was sitting here and we were singing about only in Jesus. Um, because uh, my uh, my Skylar sat with me and uh, hey Skylar, can I can I pick on you for a second, babe? Hey, can you underneath your chair? There's a little red booklet. Can you can you grab that for me? Do you mind? I put her. She's gonna be so mad at me later. Hey, bring that up real quick. Can you come? You come here. Check this out. So Skylar, Skylar, you say, hey everybody, good morning, good morning, okay, cool. So in her class, they put together this little little gospel book, and if your kid did one of these today, um, man, this is just a word of encouragement, and what was in it for me is just seeing my child walk me through the gospel presentation in her own words. And it was powerful, and so I was super encouraged by that. Now, why am I telling you all this? First of all, I want you to experience—thank you, Skylar. Here, you can have that back. That's yours. Um, first of all, I'm telling you this because, man, I am just—I am encouraged by what the Lord is doing in the life of our church, and I hope you are as well. Secondly, I want you to also know that, man, it is by God's grace that we are a part of a church that seeks to intentionally to disciple our children and to put the gospel into the hands of our children because we don't just have a calling to go out and proclaim the gospel to the nations. We have a, 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 a gospel calling right here, a decree, if you will, to make the gospel known to our own families. Did you see how I tied that in the last week for us? I haven't forgotten. Anyway, if you weren't here last week, you should really go back. I don't know if we got that on video or not, but we really need to post that. But yeah, we do have it on video. Can we post that? Oh man. I I've got ideas running in my head for us for about a week now. You and I will talk later. We'll we'll grab dinner one night. We'll talk. Anyway, so if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do. We are in 2 Peter chapter 2 this morning. We are back in 2 Peter. We are now reading the words of Peter as he continues to write to the local church again as we talked about the first week we were together. Uh, this church was probably a majority of Gentiles uh, more than it was Jews who probably converted over uh, to faith. And so what we see from Peter in his writing is that uh, the Gentiles, uh, these Gentile believers are still contending with persecution. But unlike First Peter... They're not just dealing with persecution that came from outside the walls of the church, but now what this particular church is dealing with is they're dealing with the persecution that has now come in the walls of the church. You see, persecution has now come in the form of false teachers who are seeking to drive the church away from some basic tenets of faith. You see, they were seeking to to pull the church away from even believing that Jesus Christ was the Messiah or believing that Jesus Christ was Savior and Lord. They wanted to to push the church away from even Jesus being deity or the Son of God himself or part of God himself. They also wanted to, to drive a wedge in between the church and its belief on the doctrine of the resurrection. In fact, they were starting to to teach more like the Sadducees who didn't even believe in the resurrection. And so that's what these false teachers were now doing within the church as Peter is writing this second letter. So before we get into the text, I think we need to pause for a moment and ask ourselves this question. What should be done when people come into the church or what should be done when people come into our lives who seek to move us away from the gospel? What should be done when, when people come into our lives or come into our churches and they seek to move us away from the gospel or from biblical truth at itself? Better yet, how do we recognize those folks? And how do we recognize their motives when they come into our church? Well, this was the question of Peter's day. And so Peter recognizes that not all prophets are equal in teaching. In fact, it was Peter's contention, as we saw in chapter 1 and as we're now going to see in chapter 2 of this second letter, that false teachers would come and had come To the church. And so Peter wanted the church to know and understand that these teachers were an unreliable source to gospel truth. In fact, the goal of Peter's text this morning was very simple. He wanted to call believers to be aware of teachers who discredit the gospel through deception, discredit the gospel through sensuality, and discredit the gospel through greed. So All that to say, if you're a parent this morning and you want to jot down some words for your kids to keep a tally, sensuality is not a word you need to put on that list. However, gospel is a good word. False is a good word. Teacher is a good word. Um, Deception would be a good word um, if that's a word you can get on there. So just know there's several words uh, that you can put on that list if you're looking for that, okay? Now, after coming back to the text, after teaching the church... This is Peter, after teaching the church that sources matter, which is what we talked about a week ago. After teaching the church that not only do sources matter like witnesses, but also the source of the word, which is the authority of God, all of these things can truly testify to Jesus Christ. And so in our text this morning, Peter turns his attention to the sobering reality that not all prophets or not all teachers are from God. So if you have your Bibles, and again, I hope you do, I would invite you to join me now in 2 Peter chapter 2, and we will begin reading in verse 1. And once you have found your place in the Word, if you can and you are able, I would invite you to stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Now this is Peter writing in 2 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. He writes, And their destruction is not asleep. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. You can be seated. Now again, we're only going to be covering three verses today that are really going to set us up for what we're going to be talking about next week, but let's just go ahead and look at these verses together. Now Peter warns the believers that false teachers have now invaded the church. So we are not talking about just outside opposition anymore. We're talking about people who claim to come in the name of Jesus Christ, and all of a sudden they are invading the church with these false teachings. In fact, Peter tells them that they are already among you. Now this warning from Peter is something that we see Jesus himself warn the church against back in the Gospels. In fact, uh, the, the, the warning of false teachers coming is something that goes all the way back into the Old Testament, into Deuteronomy chapter 13 as well. Now for us today, the problem with false teachers is clearly something that we see evident in the modern day church. But what we need to realize is that the issue of false teachers is not a modern-day problem. False teachers have been around since the Old Testament. So we shouldn't think that we won't see the same issue or the same issues of false teachers even within our own generations. So Peter, in writing about false teachers, wanted the church to be aware of these teachers who had now come into the church, and they were pillaging and scavenging those within their ranks. In fact, it was G. O. Green who said it this way of false teachers. He said, the false teachers were apostates from the faith, and their aim was to draw disciples after themselves. You see, false teachers had been around from the beginning, And these same false teachers, their story, their narrative never really changes. Their goal is to seek to separate people from the gospel. Their goal is to seek to separate people from the church and therefore create their own disciples. So we today should not be surprised when false teachers pop up in our circles. In a day and age where communication is at our very fingertips, we should not be surprised when all of a sudden false teachers pop up on our favorite podcasts or on our favorite YouTube channels. You see, these false teachers today will pop up in our readings, in our online articles. They'll they'll pop up on our social media pages, and they'll even pop up in what it is that we are watching. So for our text this morning... As we read Peter's words, Peter unpacks the motives as these false teachers will come into the church and they will bring about secret destruction, they will bring about shame to the gospel, and then they will steal from the believer. So this morning, let's look at our text and discover Peter's call to never forget their motives. So what are the motives of false teachers? Verse 1, Peter answers that question. First, he says this, false teachers bring secret destruction. Now again, I recognize and know that Talking about false teachers is not a popular subject in the church, but it would be wise of us and prudent of us to pay attention to what it is that Peter is now teaching the local church. You see, it was he was teaching not just for us to be able to recognize false teachers, but also for us to be warned that we don't listen to these false teachers and then ultimately become false teachers ourselves. Peter also didn't want us as a family of God holding one another accountable to see our brothers and sisters fall into these traps as well. And so notice that Peter opens by telling the believers that these false teachers have no problem smuggling destruction into the front doors of the church. In fact, he writes in verse 1, these false teachers who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Now, this particular phrase in verse 1 carries the idea of smuggling something in or introducing a secret, secret topic or thought in a very deceptive way. You see, these particular teachers weren't just hiding what it was that they were teaching. Rather, what they were doing is they were literally covering up their false teaching in a shroud of truth to the degree that it was hard for the hearer to discern that which was false and that which had come from the word of God. In other words, these false teachers were saying and doing just enough good that it would make their words seem plausible and make their words seem believable. And as they gained trust of the local body of believers, that's when they began teaching methods and beliefs that were unorthodox and destructive to the community of faith. It's similar to listening to uh, whoever your favorite pastor is on social media or YouTube right now. You can come across a particular pastor, maybe not your favorite. I don't want to assume that because some of you guys have some really good favorites and I praise the Lord for that, okay? But you'll come across a channel or you'll come across a podcast or you'll even come across an article and what you may read in that article may be good and right. Everything may be accurate. Everything may be correct. And so we do what everybody else does. We assume that everything this person speaks on, writes about, thinks, believes, and does are things that we now can get behind as believers in Christ. And then what ultimately happens is we continue to chase that rabbit trail. We continue to listen to these articles, read these articles, listen to these channels and podcasts. And then all of a sudden, what ends up happening is their narrative begins to change to the point where all of a sudden that one thing we listen to is. Completely opposite of what it is that they believe. You see, that's exactly what these false teachers were doing. Giving just enough information to make the church think that what was being said and what was being done was right. And you know, here's here's what's wild about that. Is Peter is giving this warning to the church, a warning that still holds true for us today. And yet it was Jesus Christ who told us in the gospels that this would happen. In fact, in the gospel of Matthew chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You see, here's the truth that we need to understand today about false teachers. No heretical wolf ever comes in displaying his natural appearance. Rather, What this false teacher will do is he will disguise himself in the garb of one who will be received by the flock. So we need to recognize today that false teachers will come into the church and they will look like good teachers. False teachers will come into the church and they will look like good student workers. False teachers will come into the church and they will look like good children's workers. False teachers will come into the church and they will look like good small group leaders or gospel community leaders. But the reality is this. We can't simply look at their appearance. Rather, we must pay attention to their words. We can't simply look at their experience and their history and their longevity in the church. We can't simply look at their passion. Rather, we have to pay attention to their words and pay attention to their teachings and make sure that what it is that we're seeing and hearing aligns with Scripture itself. You see, Peter comes back to the text and he tells the church that these false teachers teach destructive heresies. Now, this is important. And Peter, in this phrase of destructive heresies, explains to us why we need to be careful and why we need to pay attention, because Peter says, listen, what they teach is not rooted in the Bible. In fact, the Bible teaches quite the opposite, but ultimately what happens is what they are teaching and what people are holding on to will ultimately lead to destruction, and not just a simple falling away into sin, but what Peter is referencing here is a destruction that leads to the second death that is talked about in Revelation. In other words, false teachers will come and they are set on turning people away from the word of life and turning them to the path that leads to destruction. Peter goes on to say that these false teachers will even go as far as to deny the master who bought them. Now think about that for a moment because obviously this is a clear reference to Jesus Christ. The word master itself translates to the phrase that we call sovereign Lord. The phrase bought them simply tells us uh, that a life has been purchased at the life of another. Again, this occurred at the crucifixion. So Peter is telling us, listen, false teachers claim to be a part of the household of God, yet they refuse to submit to the authority of Christ or to the authority of the local church. False teachers, people who claim Christianity, will claim Christ as redeemer. And yet they will refuse his sovereign lordship. False teachers will reject Christ. They will reject his redemptive work, which reveals a life of ungodliness as we watch their lives unfold before us. You see, here's the reality. Too many Christians in our country today call themselves Christians and yet they refuse to acknowledge or obey the responsibility of holy living that the cross of Christ demands. This is why several pastors have now said that they believe the last great mission field is the church. Calling people to repentance helping nominal Christians see that they were never Christians to begin with and calling them to the cross, calling them to Christ, leading them in the way that is everlasting. Now sure, there is freedom and liberty in Christianity. Don't mishear what I'm saying, but understand this about Christianity. Being a Christian demands that those who believe in Christ willingly and lovingly submit to the one who redeemed them. And then what happens next in the text is that Peter reveals briefly what he's going to talk about in our next section of writing. He says this, he talks about the judgment of false teachers. And notice what he says. He says, bringing upon themselves, these false teachers, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. In other words, notice what Peter says in verse 1. He says, they will reap what they sow. And this reaping will come quickly. Now, quickly defined may not be how we deem quickly. It may not be, Lord, this person is wrong. This person is false. Do something with that now. It'll come quickly in terms of God's timetable. And the reality is that we know that all people will stand in judgment before God. Now, why does this matter for the false teacher? Why would it even matter that the judgment of God will come and if they do not correct the errors of their ways and come to faith in Christ, why would it then bring themselves into swift destruction? Why would Peter even acknowledge this in verse one? It's very simple because Jesus Christ is jealous for his bride, which is the church. Do you understand that as a Christian? Our savior and Lord is jealous for us. Now, that's not that weird, creepy jealousy that we see the world get into. That nonsense is sin. I'm talking about Jesus Christ loves us so much that he will defend the church. Jesus loves us so much that he will defend us. And when it comes to false teachers, Jesus will defend his church by condemning those who seek to mislead his disciples. In other words, this is going back to the Gospels when Jesus looks and says, there are many who will cry out in my name. Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not teach in your name? And then what does Jesus say? He says, and then I will say to them on that day, depart from me, you doers of lawlessness, for I do not know you. Christ will not tolerate false teachers amongst his people. And at the same time, Jesus Christ expects his disciples to follow suit with that. And that is this, we should not tolerate false teachers within the church. Now, we may say, Pastor, of course we don't do that here. That is not an issue here. Thanks be to God. However, we cannot, as Christians, in the name of love, We cannot, in the name of unity, we cannot, in the name of acceptance, tolerate any teacher or any person who claims to be a Christian and yet his words do not match up with that truth. It's not okay. There is never a point where we can say, well, what that person just said, the Bible clearly contradicts, but that's just Bob being Bob. It's inexcusable. We should care more about people than that, because here's the reality. They're going to continue to slip into that false doctrine. They're going to continue to slip into that false teaching. And one day they are going to stand before the judgment seat of God. And on that day, it will be too late. You see, in our culture today, as churches, we have become indifferent towards false teachers. We have tolerated them. And so what it has done is it's, it's actually created an indifference towards the truth. It's allowed us and caused us to water down biblical absolutes. We have churches today, for example, that are all around us that will say to you, come to our church and hear a message that is life-changing. Come to our church and, and be a part of a life-changing experience. And yet never once in the time that they are together do they ever talk about the one who can change your life, which is Jesus Christ. Then what are they talking about if it's so life-changing? I would argue maybe it's not even life-changing at all. Maybe it's life-destroying. Christian heed the warnings that peter gives in this first verse false teachers will come they may come into our church we may encounter them in other places we may encounter them as a part of other ministries we may encounter them through all of our connections they will come and they will bring about secret destruction and sadly following their false teaching will lead to the same destruction that they will one day experience if we allow it so as believers we should not ever tolerate any talk or any teaching that proves itself to be divisive and proves itself to be false according to the Word of God. So if we're going to do anything for friends who have fallen into this tra- this trap, let us say to them, brother and sister, we love you, but we are calling you to repent or you will Perish. False teachers will bring about secret destruction. Secondly, their second motive, verse 2, false teachers will bring shame to the gospel. Now, Peter gets to verse 2 and teaches the church that following these first, these false teachers will lead to godless conduct, which will bring shame to gospel credibility to the watching world. In fact, one of the things that I think we have failed to to realize as Christians today is all of us have opportunities to share the gospel. All of us have, have moments where we can present the gospel. So in, in some way, shape, or form, all of us are doing some sort of heralding of the gospel or doing some sort of teaching of the gospel. And so because of that, there's some influence that we have on one another. Well, notice what Peter Davis says about this point. He says that every age, teachers are role models to their students, not just conveyors of information. So when we take that word and apply it back to what Peter is talking about, we need to understand that the damage of a false teacher is never minimal within the local church. In fact, Peter says it in verse 2 when he says, and many will follow their sensuality. Now, the word I would highlight there is the word many itself. Peter teaches that it's trendy to follow false teachers into godless conduct that they have now deemed okay. And again, this is no surprise to Peter. This is no surprise to us today as a local church, because it wasn't a surprise to Jesus Christ. Again, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7. Again, in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24, Jesus talks about how a whole lot of people will choose the broad road that leads to destruction over the narrow road that leads to true life. In other words, false teachers will clothe the broad road in appealing attire and promise that their ways will lead to happiness and fulfillment. In fact, it was John MacArthur who said about this point, he said, their message of independence and personal freedom and self-exaltation is inherently appealing To fallen human hearts who would rather serve themselves than submit to Jesus Christ. You see, here's the truth for us today it does not matter what people claim about their faith in Christ, but rather what they demonstrate in obedience to Him. A lot of people can claim Christianity, but how are they being obedient to the calling that's now being placed upon their life? Coming back to the text, Peter continues and he says, And because of them, Blaming the false teachers because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. In other words, Peter is saying, listen, these false teachers are ruining the gospel witness within our communities. They're ruining it. And they're not ruining the gospel Don't mishear that. They're ruining the joy and the passion and the privilege that we have of making the good news of Jesus Christ known because what they're declaring is false. We currently have a sitting senator in the United States who claims that he is a Christian, claims that he is a pastor, and yet half of what he believes and what he teaches can be refuted by the word of God. And yet we call that Christianity. And here's the irony of it. Even the non-Christians recognize that that is not Christianity. They know enough about Christianity to know that what this person is saying is not true. And yet they make a mockery of Christianity because they realize how weak and feeble we can be. You see, this this is an important point for Peter because... Peter spent his first letter teaching Christians, telling Christians, encouraging Christians in the midst of persecution outside the church, in the midst of facing death simply because you were a follower of Jesus Christ. He says to them, continue speaking the gospel and then continue living the gospel. In other words, you just keep doing good and keep proclaiming the gospel and whatever happens, happens. And yet now all of a sudden in the church... Christians were being pulled away into that which was false. You see, brothers and sisters, the only way to make the gospel believable to a watching world is for Christians to live the kind of righteous lives that make it believable. Right now in our society, the majority of people and what they know about Christianity, what they know about us is everything we despise. They know everything we hate. We have taught them a version of Jesus that is extremely watered down. We no longer point them to a Jesus Christ who is gracious and merciful, a Jesus who is just, a God who is holy. Rather, we just simply tell them how to vote. And if you don't vote our way, well, then you're just, name the expletive you want to use. Too many of our pastors in our churches opposite of the ones that talk about life change but never talk about Jesus. Too many of our pastors in our churches get in our pulpits and they want to tell their people how to vote on everything. Do you realize that's not the job of the pastor? Our job is just to proclaim the word of God. Our job is just to teach the Bible. Our job is just to teach truth. We're just here to teach doctrine, to encourage you with a with a message, to warn you or convict you with a, a message that comes straight from the word. And yet, too many pastors today are using their pulpits to make a political stance, and now that's what our world knows about Christianity. Can I tell you something? If we are if we are seeking to divide, or we're seeking to create division, then man, I got I got to tell you, we are not honoring the gospel with our lives. If that is our goal, we are not honoring the gospel. In fact, I believe as Christians, we would do good to remember the motives of the false teachers as they continue to seek to discredit the gospel. My prayer is that their motivation to shame the gospel would compel us to continue to to grow in our own holiness, to continue to to stay close to the word, to continue to to speak the gospel, to, to live the gospel which others in our world will take note of and one day desire. If we teach them the truth. And so Peter moves on from there. And he gets to the third motivation for the false teachers here in verse 3. And he says this, that not only do they bring in swift destruction, not only do they shame the gospel with their message. But then thirdly, I want you to notice this. These false teachers will come and they will steal from believers. I mean, just think about that for a moment. As if if destroying churches wasn't enough, as if shaming the gospel or the ability to share the gospel wasn't enough, now all of a sudden Peter says, listen, these false teachers are gonna come and they're here in our day and they're gonna do work within the church and the work they're doing is not to glorify God. Rather, what they're doing is they're seeking their own personal gain. In fact, look with me, verse three, Peter says, and in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Now, again, a couple words and phrases I want to highlight here. The word exploit first, this literally means stealing from members or using members for their own personal financial gain. Peter then says that they're willing, in order for their own gain, to go as far as using false words. In other words, they are willing to lie to other believers for their own personal gain. They're willing to manufacture bogus arguments with no fact and no merit in order to sway people to a side for their own personal gain or to destroy and seek to defide a local church. Either way... What they seek is contributions and prestige, either in finance or in some sort of material possession or gain. Even if that gain means making a name for themselves. And so Peter says to the church, listen, these false teachers care so much more about themselves and their own gain and their own glory that they will willingly distribute toxic and cancerous information in order to obtain what it is that they want. And here was Peter's point. Peter says, we have got to stop buying into this false teaching that is reaping a devastating spiritual effect on the church. Church, can I tell you, this is why as a church, I believe we need discipleship. We need the Word of God, okay? It's why we teach our children the Word of God. It's why, thanks be to God, we have adult leaders who teach our students the Word of God. It's why we have adult discipleship. It's why we preach through a book of the Bible because we want you to know and have the Word of God. So that when you encounter false teaching, you can say, This is wrong because the Bible says it's wrong and not because of some man told me. At the same time, I not only believe that we need discipleship as a church, I believe this is why accountability has to be imperative in our lives. We need like-minded brothers and sisters to come alongside us and, and not just guard us against sin, and, and to talk privately about, about sin that we're struggling with. But, but we need to be able to guard ourselves against false teaching and to, to heed the warnings of even becoming false teachers as well. You know, i got to tell you, I've got, I got a couple people in this church who come to me on a regular basis, and, and I, I love it because uh, they come to me and they ask me a very simple question. I'm not saying everybody has to do this, but I love it because I see it as accountability. They ask me this question, what are you reading now? And you may think that's a silly question. Like, why would accountability in reading matter? Are you kidding me? I got some books I can show you. In fact, I got a stamp that you can stamp in a book that says, this is heretical. Thanks be to God for the person who gave that to me. Love that stamp. Use it a lot. But I love it when people ask me that question because here's the truth, man. I'm getting older, and I've come to a point where now if I pick up a bad book, I'm going to put it down, okay? Okay. Long ago, I used to be one of those when I was in school, you know, your teachers would assign you bad books. You know what I'm talking about. Every teacher does it because it's a part of the curriculum and you get a bad book and you have to read it, right? Well, now I've gotten to a point where I can read whatever I want. And I'll go ahead and tell you, I generally read two books at a time. I read one that's usually church history, theology, something to help me grow. The other one I read is good. It's fun. But what I've learned is if I read a bad book, two chapters in, I'm putting it down. Thanks be to God for his grace. But I love it because I have brothers and sisters who will come to me and they'll ask this question, hey, what are you reading? And I love it because I know they're wanting to know. I don't think they realize they're doing this for my heart, but it's good for my heart because what it makes me do is realize, hey, wait a minute, what am I reading? Am I reading that which is true, good, beautiful, and right according to the word of God? Am I reading something that's going to help me do a better job later of, of defending the faith? Am I am I reading something that historically is going to help me tie together um, why we are the way we are as a church because of historically what we have seen? Or am I reading things that are just false? Am I filling my mind with garbage that's just heretical? Now, this is actually one of the, I've now incorporated this question in, in many of the conversations that I now have with people. Hey, what are you reading? because I want to make sure that what we're reading is good. If we're not reading the Bible, then let's read what's good. So I think we need accountability. And let me encourage you, if you don't have accountability in your life and your thought on accountability is, oh yes, that's that person I tell every deep, dark sin to. No. Start with simple questions. A question like, how are you? And what are you reading? Even in that simple question, that simple conversation, that accountability can help us continue to grow in our wisdom and knowledge of understanding that which is true. Man, Christians, false teachers will come. And when they come, they will seek to rob the church. They will rob us of our finances. They will rob us of our friendships. They will rob us of our faith. They'll even rob our church and divide it if we are not careful. And so Peter here warns, do not give them an ear to hear. Stay away from them. And if Christians have fallen into this trap of division, then call them back to unity, but do not give an ear to what they have to say. And then notice how Peter closes this section with the impending judgment of God, which we are going to see more of next week. Peter says their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Now, Depending on the scholar you read, people have interpreted this passage one of two ways. Some people say this is actually Peter referencing back to these false teachers, saying that, hey, they never rest. Uh, I tend to be on the other side of it where I believe this is actually God talking, Peter talking about God and his impending judgment upon the false teachers, and that's because of what happens in verse 4 and following. Either way, listen to what Peter is saying. Peter is saying to the believers, listen, God is not blind to what is happening. They may think they're getting away with it right now, but God sees what they're doing. God hears what they are doing. God is not deaf, nor is God mute. God is watching, and one day, God will put an end to those who teach falsely and those who seek to divide his church. Because again, his church is his bride. So church, can I encourage you today, as a church, remember, we are called to fight for unity and not fight one another. So Christian, be alert. Be watchful, as Peter says in his first letter and into his second letter. False teachers will come, and they come with motives. They will seek to destroy the church secretly through their actions and words. They will bring shame to the gospel within the local community. And when they get into the church, they will then seek to steal from believers in both finances and relationships. So brothers and sisters, be on guard. False teachers are around us. False teachers have been around from the beginning. They were present in the Gospels. They were there at the formation of the New Testament church, and they are still with us now. Every generation, going back to Peter's day and beyond, has dealt with this very same challenge, and the best way to combat it is to grow in our knowledge of the Word of God. And not just a head knowledge of understanding, but a heart knowledge of living the word of God. You see, the world's desire right now is to extinguish the life of God's word on our lives. And yet they seek to drive people to pursue relativism sensuality and wealth. And my prayer is that this would never happen on our watch. May the word remain central to who we are. And as we move forward as a church, may we continue to be watchful and never forget their motives. Be watchful, church. Wake up. The coming of Christ is at hand. Let's pray together.